Give me a little test test. Test test. Test test. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome to Backseat Directing. Where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts. Andrew. And Aaron. And today we are talking about The Woman King. This weekend, The Woman King came out, and we went and saw it. We saw it on Saturday. What'd you think of it? Um, I thought that this movie was really good. So um, we are going to have a whole lot on our plate to discuss. But my general thoughts on the movie was that it was an incredible film. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We'll, we'll definitely get into why, but I'm glad to have contributed to its opening weekend box off numbers by showing up and buying my ticket. What do you think? Yeah, I thought overall it was good. It was more emotional than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I was thinking it was more of like an action kind of movie, which there's action portions in it, of course. Um, but it, it was definitely more of a story driven movie. And I thought they did a good job of telling that story that they were going for. I would like to say that this episode, we're going to start off with no spoilers. And then kind of halfway through, we'll shift and go into spoilers. But we'll let you know when we switch over. Yeah, we're going to have to remember to give you guys that break. So that <laughs> anybody who wants to just get a feel for what the movie's about, who's in the movie, uh, what kind of went into it, and what the, the public perception and ratings are, you'll have plenty of time to hear those thoughts. And then from there on, we'll delve into specifics about the movie, our thoughts on specific scenes, maybe the ending of the movie. But we'll give you guys plenty of time um, to listen and get some information before we get there. Yeah. So this ep- or this movie came out just this last weekend and it is pretty well received so far on imdb it's rated a 5.9 out of 10 and then on rotten tomatoes for the critic score it's a 94 percent and then the audience score is a 99 percent on rotten tomatoes so i want to cut in just to say that this is a pretty big disparity between imdb and rotten tomatoes I mean, not altogether unheard of, but I think in the case for this movie, the specific reason why is I've seen a little bit of what could be construed as controversy around this movie and the IMDb reviews, and I went into reading some of them. Um, So from what I understand, uh, this movie is uh, an example of alternate history, is what the IMDb description says. Um, So... I want to, to say that Aaron and myself went into this movie watching it with no historical knowledge of the actual events of the Oyo tribe or of the Dahomey Empire. Uh, so we're not historians, so we did not know that. Uh, we respect the, the real history. Um, with that being said, it, it didn't affect our opinion of the movie when we were watching it because we didn't know the real history. So we're here just to talk about the movie, uh, the fictional movie that is an alternate history, and whether we like the movie or not, uh, we... Like I said, we respect the history, and I don't want anything to, to cover that up. Uh, but the this movie is just a film, uh, just a fictional story, and we're just here to talk about that aspect of it. So it, it, it's based on true events, it's, yeah. or inspired by true events. I see it's it not more yeah. directly taken from 
the textbook and putting it into a movie. I see it as the Dora Milaje. I, I can see being from Black Panther. I can see being inspired by this uh, group of female warriors, kind of like similar to the Amazons, a strong female warrior elite force. And I see it as they took that aspect of the story and just focused to drive a plot from there. And they, you know, they use the real historical names of these tribes and possibly even some individuals. Uh, but I don't see that as them necessarily trying to say that this is exactly the way these things happen, especially when the, the summary straight off the IMDb page says that it's alternate history. So um, it's they're playing on kind of some modern sensibilities when they change this plot uh, to make the movie more enjoyable and appropriate to modern audiences and modern uh, experiences and modern culture. So uh, I think that this is what it is, is a movie, you know? Yeah, and it's not I, a documentary. I enjoyed the story that they told uh, with the characters that they used to tell the story. The budget for this movie was fifty million, and then going into the weekend, there wasn't high aspirations in terms of how much money that they were going to get, and they kind of end up overblown or they they blew the expectations. Right, they got nineteen million on opening weekend, which is pretty good for this type of movie. Yeah, this type of movie, uh, meaning a movie that is performance-based, award-driven, this is an Oscar kind of movie. So these caliber of movies uh, don't tend to draw in as big of a financial reward as a blockbuster movie, like an Avengers or Star Wars movie. Uh, so these numbers, 19 million, is a really good opening weekend. And the reports I was reading were saying that uh, this is was unexpected, pleasantly unexpected, and that the movie is is doing really well and projected to make a hundred million dollars. Uh, so uh, that's what we mean when we say this kind of movie. So it's it's definitely very performance driven. We'll get into some really good performances as we talk about it. But um, just to to go over the general plot of the movie, the the idea of the movie is that there is this tribe called the Dahomey tribe or the Dahomey Kingdom. Uh, it's this tribe in Africa where they have an elite force of women warriors that is called the Agojea. I hope I'm nailing that pronunciation. I tried my best. Uh, so the Agogia are this group of really strong elite women led by Naneska, who is in a lot of ways the general to the king, King Gezo in this story. Naneska being portrayed by Viola Davis and King Gezo being portrayed by John Boyega. And the story is that they are going up against the Oyo the oil people are this other extremely powerful force, uh, a big group in Africa that is contending with uh, the Dahomey over um, different resources. And a big point of this movie is the slave trade as well. So they, these two tribes are competing against each other. And the story kind of unravels from there. That's a basic general plot that I'll get into without spoilers. Yeah. And the, one of the things that I liked a lot about this movie was the opening scene. So, again, not too many spoilers here, but the, the opening scene basically starts out with a fight. And this part was in the trailer, so I feel like it's okay to say how cool this part was. <laughs> is that these guys are along the campfire. It, it's kind of, it's, it's dusk outside, so it's getting dark. And then they, they rise out of the grass with this mean stare, ready to kick some butt. And it kind of gives you chills as they come out of the grass and you're like, oh, yeah, they're yeah. going to wreck them. I love the way that uh, Naneska stands up first. Um, first of all, establishes her as the leader because mm -hmm. she stands up out of the grass, not only putting herself in danger, 
but setting the example of just staring down the enemy the enemy there and then everyone follows suit because they respect her because they follow her into battle and they do as she does and i think it sets the tone right off the bat for who she is yeah i agree she uh viola davis definitely pulled off the role of being this fierce general um that fights with swords and knives in their hands and being a brutal leader to this army that's protecting the king yeah for all i know uh viola davis in real life is the kindest gentlest person but she definitely pulls off this uh rough rugged exterior she had a sense of intensity Uh, yeah roles like nanesca amanda waller in the suicide squad Uh, i really like her as annalise keating and how to get away with murder she Mm -hmm. just has like this strong bravado and and like you said she pulls it off really well but while we're talking about viola davis uh let me mention some of the casting so we have viola davis as naniska the general that we already mentioned uh she's starring alongside thusu mbedu uh who plays nawe uh and then we have lashana lynch who is izogi uh fans might recognize her as monica rambeau from captain marvel and from doctor strange 2 uh she's fantastic in this uh, Sheila Atim plays Amenza. She's kind of the confidant and uh, right-hand woman to Naniska. And then, as mentioned, John, Boyo- John Boyega is King Gezo, who is obviously Finn in the Star most recent Wars. Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. Who is your favorite character? Without a doubt, and Aaron already knows this, is Lashana Lynch as Izogi. Izogi is so cool, so tough. She just embodies strength and power and ferocity and no fear. She doesn't feel pain. And uh, Lashana Lynch really brings that to the screen. And I just found her so cool and enticing. She's like quickly risen through the ranks of the action stars list in my mind. I'm sure we'll hit a ranking for action stars one day. But who is your favorite? I would agree with her. She is a complex character too like she had a lot of depth to her like she wasn't just this fierce warrior but she was also kind of had this soft side to her that you would see when she's approaching the just be careful what you say here before we go when she's approaching the the, the trainees for the the homie because we will we can circle back more to her uh delving into her character as we get into spoilers but she's she's really Really great. I, I will say that. She's, I think, the standout performance of the movie to me. Um, and she's kind of like that person you don't expect in terms of people often talk about a side character that steals the show. To me, she's that in this movie. Whereas I see uh, Naniska and Nawe as the main characters, I think Azogi kind of steals the spotlight a little bit with how, how great she is. Yeah, her acting presence really sold the role, but then also her physical presence sold the role that she could actually be this fierce warrior that's in front of you. And something that was really cool about this movie is that all the actors did their own stunts. So they spent hours and hours in the gym getting ready for this role, but then also spent hours and hours practicing the choreography to the fights and the action scenes within the movie, which I think is super cool and very relatable to me since I love to work out. I work out probably more than the average person definitely so, more than the average person <laughs> so the the whole like training aspect to not only the characters within the story but then also the actors that are portraying those characters is something that's really cool for me to watch 
Yeah, and there's been a huge trend in that in Hollywood too, obviously with you know the superhero roles, people just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I think that that pressure has been on a lot of actors. So I'm sure there, there's a really cool behind the scene video of all of the actresses working out together. Um, I just mm-hmm. saw a quick clip of it. Um, but it seems so cool that they all got together and were working out to embody the physicality of these roles because they know they're coming on screen as these badass women warriors. I mean, yeah. uh, you've got to have you got to try and get the definition, the shoulders, the the arms to pull that off. But you develop a, a certain connection with people when you go through intense workouts together. Certainly, and all of this training happens obviously before and during the actual shooting process of the movie. So by the time they got to producing and shooting the movie, they all know each other on a different level than maybe other actors and casts would because they went through all these grueling workouts together, which for anyone who's done like a group class or anything like that or have been on a sports team kind of knows the camaraderie that goes along with putting yourself through intense physical labor and workouts and it definitely brings you closer and and it's nice to know like someone else is suffering with you mm-hmm. you know to for a common goal so they probably and it seems like they did kind of form this team aspect to all the casting and then you can kind of see that relationship within the movie yeah that reminds me of a really cool story that I'll tell quickly cuz it's about a different movie but in saving private ryan spielberg had the actors go through kind of a quick boot camp where they all had to work out together and go through this harsh experience together to bond the cast going into this war movie. And then there's a a character who is in communications who comes into the story from the outside of the troop. He was excluded from the boot camp experience. So he was kind of even came onto the set as an outsider to them um, to kind of help push along that the feelings that they the actors would be experiencing in the movie so it's kind of this uh uh old school directing technique of uh, kind of actually playing with people's mentality but you since you mentioned we started this all talking about the fight scene choreography yes. um, that'll help me segue into our stunt slash fight coordinator who is very interesting for this movie uh so the stunt fight coordinator for this movie is Daniel Hernandez. And uh, I think that oftentimes stunt fight coordinators kind of go by the wayside in terms of recognition. So folks might not know this, but he did the stunt and or fight coordination for the following movies. The Gray Man, which just came out on Netflix. The Old Guard. Birds of Prey. Creed Two, Venom. Fate of the Furious. Thor Ragnarok. Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. And John Wick Chapter Two, so solid go, resume. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I I'd have a tough time finding a somebody who does this man's job with a better resume than that. That's very impressive. But I mean, we're we're going into this movie expecting to see good fight scenes, and if you're sitting here still listening to our spoiler-free section, wondering if you should see it. And you're worried about the fight scenes? I hope this increases your confidence. <laughs> they they're great fight scenes in my opinion. Uh, stellar, you know, the especially knowing that, like you said, that actors and actresses perform ninety percent of their own stunts. Yeah, uh, just a really impressive feat. Something that I really love in movies and shows, especially when the story is supposed to be very grounded, is when the fights and stuff are realistic. And something that they did in this movie, since they didn't use a bunch of stunt actors and and stuff and stuntmen and women they had to make it realistic for the actors to actually do these uh different moves 
and it really showed this like realistic aspect and believable aspect of like oh wow these women could actually do that oh it's because they're actually doing that uh which i thought was really cool and i loved how grounded this movie was while still being very exciting yeah, it, the fighting styles of the individual characters fit they're, they're their, their individual strengths. They're pushing capabilities for yeah. sure, but it's still in this like believable way. You know, yeah. they're not jumping twenty feet in the air. You know, but they're still doing incredible feats of strength and and skill. Yeah, I mean Viola Davis's character Nanesca looks strong and built, so we see her do more uh, strength-based fighting moves rather than acrobatic. Mm-hmm. style fighting moves yeah. whereas it might be a little different in Nawe's case mm-hmm. who you know is smaller and seems more agile which that means if they didn't use like stunt women and stuff like she was like twirling the the stick all on her own and she, it looked like they had pretty complex scenes with that yeah I think some of the behind the scenes they talk about uh, the difficulties of of using those specific the spears and everything they talk about how difficult it was being barefoot you know in the heat in africa on different terrain sand yeah. and so they're doing all these things themselves. that's something that i noticed while watching the movie was like wow these women are all barefoot basically the entire movie which is like they say even they say themselves they're like it's a small thing but it's something you start to notice i yeah. mean is like, when's the last time most people have gone outside and just walked around with no shoes yeah, i mean on gravel or you know concrete as opposed to like the beach is yeah not yeah. that common no exactly and it's not that comfortable either so my wife's family kind of grew up without wearing shoes so they have like the world's strongest feet <laughs> for people nowadays in america right and they just they walk across the street and the streets like really rough gravel and then they go into the grass they climb trees without shoes and then i try to keep up with them without shoes and i can't my feet are so soft mine are yeah my feet are soft always wearing (laughs) shoes to do these fight scenes and to have to to run across this gravel and tough terrain in africa that's that's a subtle difficulty <laughs> that these women had to go through for the roles of this movie. Yeah, and they're all troopers, all of them. I mean, they're a tough group. But I can't believe that I've let it go this far without us mentioning the name of the director and cinematographer. I apologize for the disrespect, but let me get into it. The director for this movie is Gina Prince. Uh, I believe it's Bythewood. I hope I'm pronouncing her last Looks name right correct. To me. Gina Prince Bythewood. It's a hyphenated last name. Uh, and then she, uh, I looked through her works, and she is the director of The Old Guard and Love and Basketball, mm-hmm. which I'm glad now that I know that she's director of The, the Old Guard because she's directed two movies that I love. I've yet to see Love and Basketball, but The Old Guard, I feel like, almost has a nod to it in this movie where they shoot the musket at Nanesca and she blocks it with her machete. A very oh, yeah. similar shot is in the old guard where uh, Charlize Theron's character blocks a bullet with uh, her axe. I the, the way they did that was cool too because it almost looked like it was an accident but on purpose. Yeah, you know, like someone held up the rifle and she kind of put her arm up and it just like it made it seem like it coincidentally hit you know at the right spot to I think, not yeah. attack her. It was, it was cool. I think it was almost part luck and that has to be to be realistic, right? To block a yeah. bullet. So I think she threw the machete up 
just yeah. in a, like a while. She, she looked kind of surprised from yeah, it. Yeah, maybe she was surprised it worked. Yeah. <laughs> but it came off really epic the way, and the force of the bullet knocking the, you know, the machete aside or the yeah. sword aside. And she. It looked really cool. Yeah, it, that was one of my favorite. Oh, man. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> it's it's not that big of a spoiler. A, though. It yeah. doesn't spoil any of the movie. We won't it's, spoil the plot. It spoils a, a cool shot. Which, Before we fully okay. delve into spoilers, though, um, the last thing I wanted to say was a cinematographer, which is Polly Morgan, who she actually directed a movie I just saw in theaters, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing, which mm. I thought was a very good movie. Um, uh, recently, that the... They turned the novelization of this book into a movie, uh, and I thought that movie was really well shot. It was done uh, in a marsh, so just a lot of cool uh, artistic shots of nature and the environment. Uh, I think that she captured the the feel in that movie really well. She directed, or she uh, did uh, cinematography also for A Quiet Place Part Two and Legion, which is a, a television series, a Marvel television series. Mm-hmm. So uh, notable resumes for most of the people involved in this movie. Uh, and I think that it really showed on screen. I mean, you can't knock a 99% critics or a 99% audience score, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's hard earned. <laughs> and I think that all the uh, all the people involved in this movie must be just basking in the you know the response right now. Yeah. So, what is a good movie review without some negative points, especially coming from you, Andrew? We can't go through this review without you saying the things, some of the things that you didn't like. So remember, we're in our spoiler-free portion. So what are some things that you didn't really like about this movie or like maybe could have been a little better, but you can't spoil anything? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on the cinematography actually a little bit um, because... Oh, bad timing. We just praised yeah. the cinematography. Well, you, yeah, uh, I, I can... Nah. You can you can praise somebody and critique them at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like if you got a good grade on a paper, but with yeah. some critiques. Yeah. Um, not that Polly Morgan would care about my critiques. <laughs> she's very who, successful. Who are you again? She just keep doing what she's doing. She's doing better than me. How many followers do you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, we're doing a little bit better. We are. We are. Um, the so I would say that at times the. The cinematography uh, felt like there was some room for improvement where I felt like I wasn't necessarily noticing a huge amount of uh, artistic shots or I wasn't noticing maybe uh, angles or, or, or shot length, the, the period of the shot enhancing the movie because um, I did notice uh, a couple really great shots, but I felt like they stood out to me as opposed to... Uh, to there being a greater number of the of these shots in the cinematography, um, I feel like I, sometimes the role of the cinematographer is to not distract from the story. And at no point was I like, "What were they thinking yeah. with that shot?" Or you know, like it, it, at no point did the cinematography take me out of the story. You, you know where the cinematography know? was definitely phenomenal to me. It was in the fight scenes because I think that's where you shouldn't notice the cinematography. Because right. if you notice the cinematography making it hard for you to watch the fight scene, mm-hmm. it's ruining it. Yeah, and I think sure. this movie, the fight scenes to me were crystal clear. I was yeah. not, I was not lost in kind of the dialogue of the fight. I followed. They the, held a the lot action. of the shots for a while. So yeah, you could, like really see what happens before they cut to a different camera angle. Uh, there's one shot that they hold on Nawe that we can talk to when we get to like best shots. Yeah. Um, that I think enhances the movie um, and elevates elevates the movie. But yeah, I think that when you're looking at a movie that 
um, I think, you know, deserves like an AA plus rating. Uh, you got a nitpick to look for something yeah. to complain about. So what, what did you have as yours? The, the main thing for me that was at some portions, mainly kind of in the middle of the movie, I was kind of thinking like, all right, what time is it? You know, like the, the pacing for me was a little bit slow, but I don't think that was necessarily like a bad thing for the story or anything. I think it's just more so my problem and my attention span being really short, especially with how many notifications we're getting on our TikToks and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, to look at something else. Like I think a lot of people are nowadays, you know. Oh, we, we have a TikTok page? <laughs> do we have a TikTok page? Oh my gosh, Andrew, we do. Backseat directing on TikTok and Instagram with no spaces. We also have a YouTube channel, Backseat Directing, and we're on the podcast apps on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you've listened this far, please give us a review. Give us five stars. If you want to give us one star, we'll block you. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, stick stick to like like liking, following, you know, listening, subscribing, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, we we really appreciate everything. We post new episodes every Monday and Thursday. Again, they go out on our YouTube page and podcast page. So be sure to check those out Monday and Thursday. And now we're going to head into that spoiler territory. So if you are planning to see this movie and, and you do not want to know anything about it going into it other than what we said so far, hit pause, watch the movie, make sure you come back and finish the episode later so that we can compare our thoughts. All right. So... I want to talk about the general plot of the movie. We talked about the opening. We've got them, uh, our, our Agogeo warriors, coming out in stellar fashion. Uh, they come out with an epic fight scene fighting these uh, oil warriors. Uh, and they kind of take some prisoners back with them. And after that, we get introduced to Nawe for the first time. So Nawe is kind of like this character with a tragic backstory. Like almost everyone in the movie. Every one of our... Agojea warriors. So Nawe is this really interesting character who gets just dropped off at the front of the palace because her father doesn't think that he can find a husband for her. And that's Which, where... That scene was like kind of uncomfortable. You know, like, could you imagine being the parent of a child and you're like giving your child away to this much, much older man to be his wife and he's like straight up just disrespecting her right in front of you and like the mom and dad is just sitting there like man that made me mad yeah and i feel like that's part of where my love for Izogi starts because i felt mad like you and when she gets dropped off uh Azogi comes to the door and uh Azogi's just kind of slyly grinning at this whole situation uh the idea that nawe uh won't marry a man who beats her Mm -hmm. that because Azogi, this is she's the kind of person that this is building her respect for Nawe. Uh, and she kind of takes her under her wing like immediately right away. Um, and I could go on and on about all the things that make Azogi great. Uh, <laughs> but let's let's get to some of our favorite scenes from there. So we've got an awesome training montage. Uh, I love a good training montage. training montage. I love it. It's the best part of any movie. Um, and we get to see our hero kind of rise up and prove that prove people wrong you know prove the 
the people that doubt her because she's small. Azogi kind of calls her like a little fly or a little flea um, mm-hmm. because Nawe is, you know, she's small in stature, but she's big in, in heart, you know? Yeah. Uh, what did you think about the training montage? I thought it was cool. Um, it was super cool how she like goes and swings and the the sword gets stuck on the dummy and then Viola Davis just knocks it right off. Oh, you yeah, know, that was show cool. strength. Uh, it was also cool in the training montage when they're first getting started the first like weapon that they use is the rope and she's like the rope isn't a weapon why am I doing this you know and then later on she's got a rope attached to a knife and she's flinging it around and throwing it and stabbing people with it and bring the knife back it's like oh full circle that was it's, cool there's also great symbolism in this movie with ropes and chains which are two obvious symbols of oppression and binding people uh two things that are heavily tied with themes of the movie like slavery and oppression and we get to see them ironically turned around as weapons against the oppressors by nawe using the rope as part of her weapon and then eventually we see one of the agoje warriors use a chain as a weapon to kill one of the white slavers Mm -hmm. so uh it's really cool to get to see them kind of turn that on its head um, and they also just make cool weapons, you know, yeah. visually something swinging like that is just a, a cool tool in a fight coordinator, stunt coordinator's belt. Yeah. So Nawe goes back and like when they're going through their final tests or whatever, Nawe goes back into these thorns to kind of save her friend and get her friend through the thorns. So that way she can stay on the group. I was kind of hoping there was going to be some sort of consequence to that, you know, but then she like still goes out there and and wins so it to me it made it seem like everyone else was way way below her if she was able to go back into these thorns grab her friend and then catch up and not only catch up catch up over that big huge wall and then climb down fast she jumped down which i was cool yeah but then she faces these two large guys and she takes them down and she beats everyone pretty by a lot it seemed like you know yeah so i was hoping there was a little more consequence of her like kind of going back and like maybe she didn't win because she ended up winning that contest maybe she didn't win but uh it showed more of her character so she kind of earned respect in different ways maybe yeah. i also but yeah i agree i also think that she could have lost you know in, in, a, in a way just not come in first yeah. And then Gezo could have still given her the prize as a way of acknowledging what Nanesca said earlier, which is that uh, they are, you know, sisters, they're a group, they move together, they're strong yeah. as a team, they're weak as an individual. So her going back for yeah, her and, like, friend her having comrade, like, some conflict yeah. about that of like, why didn't you keep going, blah, blah, blah. And she's like really saying like, well, we're a team here and, and yeah. my friend was struggling, you know, I wish there was a little bit more kind of consequence for her kind of going back and then like maybe in the end battle or whatever she's there like kicking butt and whatnot and it's like oh she's she's still a great warrior but she's there protecting her fellow warriors as well it would have been great if all of the trainees went back to try and get everyone through the trial together uh, I also a really good line does come out of it on the other end of the spectrum to me when uh, Nanesca says uh, Amenza is my friend and I would step on her head to win a foot race. <laughs> like I was, I was like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> Amenza just kind of turns back like, 
<laughs> Would you? Are you yeah. are you joking right now? Um, but yeah, the the whole training montage up to the the trial where they actually become Agojeo warriors is phenomenal. I, I yeah. just I love stuff like that. So it was I really love water. like tribal movies or even like team movies, like sporting movies and stuff where they all kind of get excited and they get into this chant, you know, and they're they're kind of all dancing together in sync and stuff. That kind of thing like gets me pumped up. You and know? that happens a couple of times in this movie and yeah. it, it got me really hyped up before the final excuse me. Before their big battle when they were when they were all doing that yeah. dance together and, and they get yeah, like singing. They get so into it. You know, they, they kind of lose themselves in the moment. And you could see the actors kind of losing themselves in the moment and like really displaying this excited but fierce face as they're kind of dancing through and i was like ah oh, this is great but in the scene that i'm thinking about even my eyes were locked in on a zogi just because i feel like lashana lynch uh brought so much like charisma and magnetism to the character mm-hmm. it's kind of like they talk about in like a performance like on a like in musical theater your eyes go to one person on the stage and generally they try to put that person at the front of the group if they have a group of dancers yeah uh, and she just has that like magnetism. I feel like uh, Amenza was very enthusiastic during those portions of the movie too. Well, the four leads just are phenomenal. Yes. Like if we're going to get into discussing performances, uh, I'll say even, even five leads, like all of them, um, Viola Davis, uh, Thusu Mbedu, Lashana Lynch, Sheila Tim, and John Boyega. I thought they were all great performances. Yeah. Uh, so, they're all great characters too. They yeah. all drove the story forward in some way. You know, like there wasn't any character that was just there. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But they 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 took great written characters too and elevated them. I mean, they really performed their hearts out in these roles and I think they poured their hearts and souls into it because you feel the emotion that they're putting through. You are locked into their character and their lines. I think that they're all fleshed out individual people with their own personalities. Um, rarely do I say it. I feel like, I feel like rarely do I ever say that about a cast of five. Like that's a big compliment I think to give for that many people to do that well of a job. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you like certain characters more than others, but no one seemed overshadowed. I was never watching a scene without Azogi where I was like, "When's Azogi going to come back? This movie's no good without her." You know, <laughs> yeah. it was it was still all all of them were interesting to me. Conversations between just Amenza and Aniska, I immensely enjoyed as well. You know, mm-hmm. there I was never like a whole section of the movie where I was waiting to just get back to other characters. Yeah, did. J- you see the twist coming that Norway was Naniska's daughter. I think I only saw it coming when they wanted me to see it coming. Yeah. I mean, I saw it coming when um, they kind of started to touch on it in the plot. Yeah. Uh, so now that you're listening, because I assume you've seen the movie, uh, we're talking about how uh, Naniska had uh, a baby because she was sexually assaulted and gave birth to that baby and had a Menza uh, basically handle the issue for her, bring the baby somewhere. It was, she was dropped her off at, uh, their kind of time periods version of a dummy weren't supposed to have kids. Yeah. So she would have had to get, she explained she would have had to give up on, uh, her sisterhood. She would have had to give up on the Agogea. Um, if she were to have this child and raise this child, she couldn't be a warrior anymore. She couldn't be a general cause that's just against 
their culture and their rules for that group. Mm-hmm. So she made a difficult decision and she it burdened her for the rest of her life. And this is kind of where the big character development is for Naniska in that her line from the trailer of to be a warrior, you must kill your tears is something that she has lived her whole life by since that moment and just closed herself off. And the only thing that she thinks in terms of is in terms of protecting her people uh, protecting Dahomey and Agrigea and her king and serving her king. Um, and she doesn't really think emotionally and she doesn't open herself up. And by the end of this movie, that shot they hold on Viola Davis where she cries and creating that juxtaposition to her saying, you must kill your tears. She sits alone and lets herself weep for all the time that she lost with her daughter um, is like her character's kind of breakthrough moment where she's allowing herself to feel again and she's allowing herself to be her whole self. Because I think a part of the movie is a lot, is for a woman to be strong and be herself, you know, to mm-hmm. be able to feel, to not close yourself off and still be strong and be able to be perceived as strong. Yeah, I think that that goes for men and women too you know like yeah anyone in like an authoritative position like it's it's good to be tough but it's it's good to show your emotions and talk about your emotions and have a a family of people that you are comfortable with and can help they can help you kind of deal with all these issues and and emotional things that come up you know uh so that was a cool aspect of it so our show is called Backseat Directing, right? So we're we're directing, or we have opinions and stuff. So Andrew, if you're in the backseat of this movie, what are some directing cues that you would give? What are some of the things that you would reinforce and, and want to keep the, the way that they were already going? And what's something that maybe you would change? So I'll start on the negative so I can end on the positive. I like so that. I would change... Uh, I would not have killed Azogi. So uh, Azogi, my favorite character, as I've said, uh, dies kind of, I'd probably say at the beginning of the third act of the movie. And I don't feel like, I'm okay with killing characters. I just don't feel like her death served the purpose of launching the story forward. I don't think it got any of the other main characters over some kind of major emotional hurdle. Um, I was saying last night that maybe if she her last words had been encouraging uh, Nawe to you know reconnect with her mother because you know Nawe is kind of left with you know the pain that her mother's abandoned her at this point in the story. So if maybe their her last words or her final act saved Nawe's life in some way or, or launched Nawe into you know some kind of epiphany then i could see it being valuable but she kind of died without that even though her the purpose her death served was being just gut-wrenching to the audience mm-hmm. um do you agree i agree with you that it it didn't necessarily move the story forward but it was kind of like that that shock aspect yeah. of the movie i wasn't expecting her to die at yeah. that point you know so like in that moment you feel the emotions of it but like you said, like it, it didn't necessarily push the story forward. Yeah. I mean, without that death, though, we wouldn't have got one of the best shots of the movie to me. One of the most emotional and heartfelt shots of the movie of the close-up um, of Thusun Beru, Nawe, as she's 
cradling Azogi in her arms and, and crying and screaming. And she's saying, uh, stay away from her. Don't touch her. And just holding her ragdoll body in her arms is, I mean, I really was feeling the pain and emotion in that moment. And just, sure. uh, you know, Nawe's tears and her, her screams and the, she's, she has spit flying. It's just like guttural and visceral and just seems like this real raw emotional performance. Um, it's one of the strongest points of the movie is the performance. And earlier when I critiqued the cinematography, it's only because the, the, you know, the action, the, the stunts, the acting, uh, the, you know, all the other aspects of this movie, the direction are so strongly on point that I might notice where I'm not feeling as much from the cinematography because everything else is so strong. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, one of the peak moments of the performances in that movie is that loss for Nawe. But let's, let's touch on what you would keep and what you would change. So... The biggest thing that I would keep is having the actresses drive the action uh, and perform their own stunts and not only like not force them to do stunts that they can't do to where it looks unnatural or pulls you out of the story, but creating choreography that matches the actresses and their capabilities. Um, that's something that's just really cool to me. Uh, so I would keep that going. And then we've kind of already touched on this before. Something I would change is maybe like some of the pacing in the middle of the movie. Kind of kind of like right before and after the training montage. You know, just kind of cutting some of the fat out a little bit and kind of having it move a little bit faster. It's two hours and 15 minutes long, but it almost felt longer than that at certain points. Um, so probably taking out... 10 to 15 minutes of that probably would have held my attention a little bit better. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, I'd say it probably did feel closer to like 240, 245, which, I mean, you don't want your movie to feel longer than it is. You want it to feel like you're so wrapped up in it that it's over already. Oh no. Yeah. So yeah, I could see that. Um, I, you know, I can't sit in the editing chair and say where I would trim anything off the movie. Yeah, um, but for sure. I'm sure with all the footage they had they still did a you know obviously a phenomenal job editing but like i said we're we're nitpicking maybe because it's a good maybe movie. in the middle of the movie there was maybe there could have been more conflict that they would have to overcome other than just their training montage right it seemed like oh no this force is coming we have to prepare but there was there wasn't any like urgency of like having to prepare in a sense you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so maybe there was like a some sort of small conflict or problem that they had to solve either within themselves or an outside force. Yeah, maybe maybe even if we had a second group or a detachment that we were following mm -hmm. that was somehow out there in the field, maybe even just observing the approaching threat and getting an idea could build up the size of the threat of the Oyo and the impending nature of it coming closer. Kind of, you know, yeah. two, two things, uh, you know, pushing each other along in the plot yeah because like you said it, it would be hard to go through this movie and take aspects out but maybe adjusting some things keeping it around the same runtime maybe even adding a few minutes but kind of adding something in the middle that shows urgency to the story yeah well with our backseat directing done i have some uh some of my favorite shots 
to mention, and I have some interpretations of, of events in the movie that I wanted to decipher with you. All right, let's hear so, it. I'll start with my interpretation. So I want to hear what you think about this. And this is just me uh, putting on my, uh, my, my one cinema class hat. Um, so at the end of the movie, uh, we've got a relationship between uh, Nawe and this, uh, this man who is you know from Brazil. Um, he's part Dahomey. And Jacked, by the way. Yeah. That guy's huge. A beautiful man. <laughs> um, not not as jacked as a zogi, but yeah. no. But uh, Andrew leaned over to me in the theaters and was like, "This guy is jacked for no reason." And I said, "The reasons for the ladies." And, and then I leaned over again, and I was like, "And for the guys." <laughs> yeah, I I don't know I don't know what LA Fitness this man's going to uh, in eighteen hundreds Brazil, but. Hey, his results are hard to argue with. Yeah, for um, sure. I, I don't know how he's so cut. <laughs> I mean, his genetics. <laughs> but anyway, so there you got the romantic subplot, um, and he gives her this white outfit because she got blood on her other clothes mm-hmm. uh, in the slave market. So at the end of the movie, we see her put on this white outfit, all white, um, and I kind of interpret it as being akin to like a wedding dress she's wearing all white and i see it as symbolic of the life she would live if she embraced a romantic relationship with this man if she wanted to be a wife and have a family instead of a warrior and her putting it on is kind of her trying that on seeing what it would fit like but then immediately after putting it on we see her slash uh you know her sword across a member of the oyo tribe and splatter blood across it and that's symbolic of her denying that lifestyle and choosing the the way of the warrior so to speak and she's going with her mother and her sisters and her tribe and her people um and she's kind of accepting that uh that question she asked earlier where she asked how come we can't be warriors and have a family like the men can mm-hmm. and she's kind of choosing the warrior lifestyle by splattering blood across the nice white dress and and denying that that would have been what what do you think that's an interesting interpretation and i think part of the reason of why she chose to stay with her tribe is everything that she's gone through with her tribe kind of like we were talking about the cast going through this difficult training for this role and then becoming most likely closer together because of all that hardship well in this story her and all of her warrior sisters have gone through all of this hardship together in this training and actual battle that it'd be really hard to remove yourself from that you know but at the same time it would be hard to leave possibly the love of your life behind too uh i'd probably choose love but yeah. <laughs> i'm also not a warrior so. <laughs> nawe is way tougher than us for That's sure that much is obvious but yeah that i think that um I don't know if that's what they were intending, but I'm always trying to look for something like that because I think there's a reason why they choose to put her in that different outfit when she could have just stayed in the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, they, yeah. they wrote it that way and they did set design and all that, in my opinion, for us to get something out of it. So I'm just trying to draw that, what it means to me from it. Yeah. Um, but I found it very interesting. We already talked about Viola Davis, uh, character development of going from killing her tears to accepting her tears. Uh, and then... 
the one that I want to touch on as well is I think that the shot of Kingezo at the end holding Nineska's sword out at arm's length is a physical representation of showing his strength as a king because they've already established the, the difficulty of doing so and the weight of the sword earlier in the movie when Nawe as a novice warrior couldn't hold it and King Gezo easily holds it uh, at shoulder height at, with a fully outstretched arm. So I think that kind of shows his strength at the end um, as a leader. Yeah, there's two parts that we haven't mentioned yet that kind of tie into what we were talking about before. Kind of going back to the training montage where she goes back into the thorns to save her friend um she also did the same thing uh, and i'm talking about nawe did the same thing for naniska when they came bearing gifts to what's the other tribe called the oreo yeah so oreo when they came bearing gifts and they kick over the bucket and it's a bunch of heads yeah (laughs) so they made it feel like oh no they were gonna give away all of these warriors to this other tribe but instead they were like Just kidding. We're going to wreck you. But she stayed back because the man who sexually assaulted her was the head of that other tribe. So Naniska was ready to kill him. So she sent everyone else running back. And then Nawe saw that she stayed and went back after her, which was a, a cool like full circle moment from her training montage, bringing those same characteristics into the battle even though her general told her to leave, she stayed anyways and ultimately ended up saving her life, even though I think she kind of wanted to die fighting in that moment. Um, but that was a, a cool sh- aspect of the character development and the, the full circle of the training montage coming back to like that's that's where like if there was some sort of consequence before in the training montage that maybe it would have been more powerful that she stayed back because yeah. she did the same thing, even though there was consequences last time, but like, because that's more important to her, yeah. she stayed back to protect her, her fellow warriors and sisters in this case, her actual mom. Yeah. Cause Naniska is, I'm sorry. Cause Nawe is hard headed and strong willed. And we yeah. see where she gets that from despite her, her mother, Naniska trying to close that off on her and tell her to follow orders at the end of the movie, Naniska turns around and ironically does exactly what she's told Nawe not to do. Right. And she does not follow orders from her king. She leaves her tribe to go save her sisters. Who got captured. Yeah. In that Arguably moment. her two favorite yeah. of the group because it's Azogi and uh, Nawe. Right. Uh, you know, right up there with her and, uh, and Amenza. Yeah. Her but that, that was the, the second thing that I wanted to bring up is she... Naniska came up, went to the king, was like, hey, we, we have to go save these girls, these warriors that you were just talking about. We have to go save them. They were captured. And the king's like, we can't. We just won. You know, like, we, we're going to stay here. You can't leave. Do not mistake my, my kindness for weakness. Yeah. So she ends up leaving anyways. And she walks out of the, the kingdom's gates and starts running Uh, Away from the kingdom, away from safety, away from her sisters. And moments later, all of the warriors are right behind her, disobeying the king's orders, showing their loyalty to their leader, Naniska. And in that moment, it's like kind of gives me chills, you know, just thinking of this like this is that sisterhood that they've all built, Mm -hmm. you know, like. 
despite we're not supposed to be here, we're going anyways because it's what's right. Yeah, that's an epic moment. That's like one of those moments where you get chills just like when they're dancing before the battle Mm -hmm. or when they stand up out of the grass. This movie does a great job of playing on um, like that epic, strong feeling that kind of like buzzes up inside you. Um, Because, you know, it's like a great war movie should. I mean, the director, um, she said that she was inspired by Braveheart, you know, a great movie, a great war battle movie and Mm -hmm. i you you do kind of feel that in this movie um one other thing i was going to touch on that's one of the best shots what you just mentioned i would say when they're they're all running behind her Mm -hmm. um i'd say the three of them standing at the sunset after they've uh you know sacked the 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 port with the the Mm -hmm. slave trade uh is a great shot uh, I also really liked the the shot of Nawe right after she finds out Naniska's her mother. She sits kind of in this little corner and the camera pans back a little bit and goes wide. And you see like this small dark corner that she's sitting in and the camera's from far away. It really captures the feeling at that moment that Nawe feels small and alone in the world. And yeah. that might be my favorite shot in the movie just because I feel like it made me feel uh, what Nawe was feeling in the moment. Um, and yeah. I, so with that, overall, would you recommend this movie? Overall, I absolutely recommend this movie. So would I. I think this movie is great. I think it's deserving of the high praise it's getting. My final thoughts on this movie that I want to touch on, just a few quick things. One is that they actually shot this movie in South Africa, which is incredible to see the movie shot on the continent where the story is taking place. The movie's... I believe primarily being released for American audiences, but the authenticity just can't be replaced in terms of actually filming on scene in Africa. And I think they got some really beautiful shots because of that. Uh, you know, just the terrain and ground and the nature around them looks beautiful and authentic. And you really kind of feel immersed in the culture with uh, some of the buildings and some of the the sets that they have, which is also cool for the the star, Desu uh, Mbedu, to be able to film in her home province where they, they shot the first two weeks of filming, mm-hmm. uh, which is something she talks about on The View, um, which is where I learned that. But the other thing that I thought was that was really interesting to mention was I wanted to talk about some of the bad reviews I read on IMDb. IMDb there, um, There's bound to be negative reviews on any movie, but two things I wanted to touch on that I saw as bad reviews um, were... One, that the romantic subplot felt unnecessary and forced and contrite and you didn't really feel the emotion of it. And two was the point that the villain didn't feel fleshed out and we didn't see enough backstory for him. And my response to that is the fact that I think it's actually really cool that we have not only such a diverse cast in this movie, uh, but we have a female-led story where it's truly Mm female-led. I mean, throughout this whole movie, and I was waiting until the end of the podcast uh, to to bring this up, neither of us know, at least I believe, neither of us know the names of the male love interest or the male antagonist. I don't know either of their names. Couldn't tell you. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think there's lots of movies where I don't, remember the female character's name maybe because they didn't make her a significant enough part of the story but i can tell you nawe's name amenza's name i know naniska i know zogi like it's great to have that to have movies where the female characters are great characters and they lead the movie and you know their names and you hear their stories maybe the male characters are a little forgettable but maybe that's the point you know right the the villain i don't think the love interest was 
unnecessary though i don't think it was unnecessary but i can agree that i think um, it helped drive the story it did drive the story she was talking about earlier and we've already touched on that why why can the men have families but we can't you know and it it kind of brought that all the way around where she still ended up choosing he was also interesting because he was part dahomey right so there was there was like interesting kind of extra layers to to his character but cool still at the same time that the focus was so much on the women in this movie mm-hmm. that he was just kind of like her side piece. Like yeah. he, he, he was a good person, you know, I think all that it was, was in- intentional. Yeah. And I, I appreciate it. And to me, the complaint I read of the review that said the villain, we, we didn't get a backstory on him. Every villain doesn't need a backstory. Personally, as a viewer, I'm kind of tired of the overly sympathetic, you know, forced sympathy on a villain. A villain can be a bad guy. He's just a bad guy. We didn't yeah. need to know about his childhood and what made his life so hard. We just hate him because he's villainous. And I feel like that's okay. And I think he did a good job as it. The we actor even, did a good job. We even got flashbacks of him, too, of being a bad guy. Yeah. You know, like, we didn't need to know what motivated him to do that. We yeah. just need to know that he's bad. You know, Hans Gruber is a great movie villain. And I don't know anything about his childhood. Yeah. You know, it's. I don't think that that is completely necessary and he you know was a solid villain throughout you know mm-hmm. um i i think that these didn't, things did not make the movie any worse to me no i i agree with you i sure. also in one of those reviews saw uh somebody write i hate reading reviews yeah it's so frustrating <laughs> but i saw somebody write the fight scenes were bad and i couldn't oh come I, on I, I couldn't follow them and i couldn't even tell what was going on half the time the shots were weren't even showing the action in the shot and Get I, out of I was here. like this is unbelievable like first of all you understand they're just looking for that, that the fight stunt coordinator for this movie did both of the biggest avengers movies yeah like you, you're gonna you're gonna discuss the fight choreography insulted I felt so secure in my opinion that there was great fight scenes for sure and I felt it even more solidified when I saw that the stunt court who the stunt co- coordinator was right I was like you're ridiculous your, your reviews invalidated now if you're gonna say the fight scenes weren't good <laughs> yeah, can we contact IMDB and be like hey <laughs> we, can we get this removed <laughs> can we get this taken down because this guy's just throwing he didn't even watch the movie <laughs> jeez people I, I hate reading reviews yeah I mean I don't know. They're never. They never want to be as as we're filming a podcast. As we're review. as we're reviewing. Hey, don't read the reviews. Listen, Listen and watch the reviews. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can hear the motivation behind their opinions. What? All right. So uh, we could do a head to head battle. Depends on what your head to head battle is. What What do you got? So a head to head battle would be. We can talk about. Taking our hero, our the person I think is the strongest person in this movie, Naniska, and then in the spirit of our uh, female-led action star uh, series we're doing here, because we're following up our next episode on Monday is going to be Rogue One, we can discuss who we think could take Naniska in a fight out of a pool of female-led action heroes. Let's do it. All right. So I've got a list here of some notable female action heroes. And we have some contenders. So, um, to me, to me, two of the biggest, uh, toughest ones on here are are going to be Sarah Connor from the Terminator franchise. And people that we're having go head to head against her don't have superpowers. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not taking Captain Marvel. Yeah, it wouldn't be a fair fight. Uh, so, right, so human beings. Um, so Sarah Connor from Terminator Two. She. 
I think we all remember her coming back into that movie as a badass. Yeah. She coming out of uh, Terminator 1 and into 2. She comes back with a resurgence. She's trained. She's tough. And she's ready to fight the machines. And I think that she could give Naniska a run for her money. I mean... The majority of that movie, we see her using a shotgun, mm-hmm. so that's also an unfair advantage. But I think if we see a fist fight, we've got two really tough female action heroes here who could really slug it out. Who are you, who are you putting up against Naniska first? Um, what about Salt? Angelina Jolie and mm-hmm. Salt? Now, yeah, there. See, Angelina Jolie could really make this list like three times because <laughs> uh, her role in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, another secret agent role for yep. her, and then Lara Croft. I think all three of those characters would are are tough uh, female action leads that would put up a, a heck of a fight. What about the woman women in Wakanda? Any Ooh, of them? The Dora Milaje. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd have to. The, I, that would be a close fight. Yeah, I mean, whether it's, it's weapons allowed or just hand to hand combat, that would be close okoye is really tough really tough and that makes me think too of michonne from the walking dead because that's a sword sword fight that's a sword on sword fight that would be pretty epic to see so who wins i mean this it depends on what situation we're in you know i because you've got a a really battle-hardened person in naniska with a lot of uh kind of wisdom and strategy experience so I think the one-on-one fight kind of diminishes her capabilities because she doesn't have her warrior force behind her. Right, but I think both of them are kind of in the same situation where they rely on their their clan, their crew. Yeah, are you talking about with Okoye? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think Okoye is... I, I, think, think, Oko- I, think, I Oko- think she might win just based on her experience of what she's had to fight. Yeah. She's fought aliens. <laughs> yeah. O- Okoye is also, I think gonna be faster agile yeah yeah she's incredibly fast okay so i think she she might lose this one but what about (laughs) what about ray 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 without powers yeah ray's going down she's getting wrecked (laughs) i i mean i don't think she's got i don't think she's got the upper body strength to take on nabisca no way ray with the lightsaber different story yeah for sure unfair advantage katniss everdeen I think Katniss would probably lose. I think so as well. Even uh, if she does have her arrow and stuff. I, we saw Naniska take a bullet yeah. and, and block it. So I don't think I don't think she's gonna have as much trouble with Katniss. Even though Katniss is deadly accurate, yeah. she's deadly with the with the bow and arrow. Maybe we're underestimating the power of a bow. But what do you, what do you think about Naniska versus Black Widow? Strength against speed, agility, and acrobatics. Does Black Widow get her a little like tasers and stuff, or is she no weapons for either? N- though? No weapons. Oh, oh. Uh, I don't know. I feel like probably Natasha, just because she has more training in diversity of styles and stuff. She has, yeah. She does have the benefit of like, like, like two hundred more years of fighting being developed into new styles. Yeah, I think. Um, because like, let's say we were to take someone like you versus someone your size or even lighter, but who has trained in mixed martial arts. Like, who are we taking? Definitely oh. somebody a lot lighter could take could take me. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it's kind of the same thing. So Naniska has the the brute strength, I think, and uh, probably can take a hit better as well. But I think just the 
fighting experience uh, and technical skill of Natasha, I think she would win. What about you? What do you think? It's a close one. I don't know because I, I don't know. I think I think Naniska could really take a lot more of Black Widow's punches than Black Widow could take of Naniska. I agree, punches. but I, I still think that she's more technically sound to where with no weapons or anything, she'd find a way to win. I think that's a fight that either of them could win on a different given day. Yes. Because they both have different strengths. Yes. All right. Now, what about her versus one of us? Versus you. Her her versus me, she would definitely win. We, I agree. This, here's, here's the thing. If you give both of us a sword, and she has a sword, <laughs> and we both come at her at the same time, we're definitely both going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> so me and you versus her? Yes. Yeah, there's a, probably a high chance that we'd lose. I'd agree. I think if I think if, especially if she has a sword, there's no way. Yeah. She she. I, I mean, mean, we don't know what we're doing with a sword. If I tried to bare knuckle box Naniska, she's taking me down. Yeah, we're just <laughs> we're too soft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think maybe with training we would stand a chance, but then we'd have to train. Like we're talking about here and now. So, uh, but if she if she wants to go head to head in a back squat, I got her. <laughs> She's going down. They, they got no plates in Dahomey. They got no metal plates. Yeah, then I think we both lose. I think that's a fun way to wrap up this week's episode, reviewing The Woman King. We appreciate everyone who listened to us review this movie. Thank you for staying till the end. Uh, we're on YouTube, all the podcast apps. We have a TikTok and Instagram. So go ahead and check out those channels. Give us a like, five-star review. What else? Yeah, if you haven't gone to see this movie and you decided to listen to the spoilers anyway, great. Uh, I recommend going ahead and seeing it. Get in the comments with us and tell us what you thought. We want to interact and communicate with everybody. Check us out on all those platforms, and we'll see you guys back here on Monday for yeah. Rogue One. Remember, we post Monday and Thursday. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching, and that's a wrap. Bye.